China's influence is rising, but how is it changing the countries around it? From Radio Free Europe, I'm Reid Standish, and this is Talking China and Eurasia, a podcast about how Beijing is changing the balance of power. For the last several weeks, a leaked trove of classified Pentagon documents have rocked the world. The documents, which were allegedly leaked by Air National Guard member Jack Teixeira, have shown an honest and at times grim U.S. intelligence assessment of the battlefield in Ukraine. The documents also contain reports about China's own intelligence and military moves around the world, including apparent lethal aid to Russia during its war in Ukraine. On today's episode, we'll be looking at what the recent leaks tell us about where Beijing and Moscow's relationship is headed, what it means for the war in Ukraine, and how the two countries' militaries are working closer together than ever before. Helping me figure all of this out is Dennis Wilder. He previously served as the CIA's Deputy Assistant Director for East Asia and the Pacific and was an advisor to President George W. Bush, including as National Security Council Director for China. He also served as Senior Editor of the President's Daily Brief under President Barack Obama, and he's currently a Research Fellow at Georgetown University's School for Foreign Service. Dennis, thanks a lot for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great, Reed. Good to be with you. Great. Well, uh, Dennis, we've seen a variety of revelations from these U.S. intelligence documents. One assessment states that Taiwan is unlikely to thwart Chinese military air superiority in a conflict and adds that tactics such as China's use of civilian ships for military purposes have eroded U.S. spy agencies' abilities to detect a potential invasion. Another leak says that U.S. officials were aware of up to four Chinese surveillance balloons beyond the one that flew over the continental United States and was shot down back in February. And a separate file also says that Beijing would consider a, quote, significant Ukrainian strike with American or NATO weapons on Russian territory as an escalation of the conflict that would merit sending arms to Russia. We also have another set of documents that says that China imp- uh, approved the provision of lethal aid to Russia for its war in Ukraine, but wanted those shipments to remain secret. So, Dennis, there's a lot there to unpack, obviously, and lots to dive into together. But first, I'm hoping that you can explain to our listeners how big of a deal these leaks are, how they should be read, and how they change our understanding of some of these issues. Sure, Reed. The first thing I would say is these are a very significant and dangerous leak of military intelligence documents. The reason they're so dangerous is that they reveal capabilities of the United States, for example, to intercept the communications, (coughs) excuse me, of Russia's foreign intelligence service, um, other communications capabilities of the Russians. And so what you're going to see now, it's inevitable that the Russians are going to look at their communications and try and uh, take us off those communications, and they probably will be successful. So we will lose capabilities that cost millions, if not billions of dollars to create, and those capabilities will then have to be recreated, which is a very difficult process. It's not easy. So this is a big deal. One thing I want to mention just quickly is these are all military intelligence documents. They come out of the Pentagon. They are not from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence or from the CIA. You will notice there is no CIA or very little CIA reporting, and there's certainly no CIA human 
And the reason is that the CIA keeps those materials off the Defense Depart Department system. So um, fortunately, human operations aren't affected by this, but a lot of technical ones are. Right. Uh, and, and I guess that's worth clarifying for some people that are listening. You're talking about human intelligence, um, which is not present in there. Um, but what is in there is what would be called signal intelligence, which are things that are deemed from uh, or gleaned from accessing communications and, and things like that. I think that it's pretty helpful. Uh, that's all pretty helpful for people as we start this discussion off. Um, so I, I want to get a little bit more into these leaks, and especially this one about China uh, greenlighting lethal aid to Russia. You know, whether China is supplying Russia amid the war has been a big question, and it's been a growing issue uh, and one of growing concern for Western officials. Um, I think it's also worth noting that this leak that we're talking about, this is based off, um, this comes from an intelligence summary on February 23rd uh, from earlier this year. And it says that Beijing has improved the incremental provision of weapons to Moscow, which it asked to disguise as civilian items. This information, it says, was gathered by U.S. agents, eavesdropping on discussions uh, on, on Russian intel, uh, where the Russians said China's Central Military Commission wanted the shipments to remain a secret. So, Dennis, a few things, to a few things here jump out to me. One is timing of all of this, as this corresponds with a public campaign that was getting ramped up by Washington to put pressure on Beijing not to arm Moscow. Uh, this, the second thing here is that we've been seeing these growing reports and disclosures based on trade data, uh, you know, looking at things like dual use goods coming from China to Russia, also things such as small scale sales of private Chinese company or small scale arms sales from Chinese companies to Russia. Um, and also comments, um, you know, from, for instance, even just this week from Ukrainian senior Ukrainian officials saying that they are finding components from China in Russian weapons on the battlefield. So we take all this together, a few things, you know, does this leak change our understanding of how China is helping Russia? Is it safe to say now that the that these this type of aid is already underway? And I, I guess just really, you know, what do we know? What does this give us here that's new? Okay, so let's unpack this report a little bit. This is what we call in the business raw intelligence. It isn't an assessment. What it is, is an intercept of the SRV's communications. Now, when you have raw intelligence like this, you want additional backup information. And one of the things we don't know is what have we found out in human operations or from other sources that would corroborate what was said here. Because remember, just because two people are talking over the phone about something doesn't necessarily make it real. Uh, they may be fooling themselves and thinking that the Chinese have made this decision. I think this report and maybe other information certainly was the basis for what Blinken and others have said, warning the Chinese against doing this. Let's back up though a little bit. China has been supplying the Russians with components, with spare parts for their helicopters, spare parts for their fighter aircraft for a long time. A report by the Center for Advanced Defense Studies shows that China's arms conglomerate called Poly Technologies or Poly Group has been doing this for years. 
And uh, this new report shows incredible detail about how the Chinese have been doing this. So while the Chinese haven't been supplying lethal weapons in the past, certainly they've been supplying semiconductors, spare parts, all kinds of things that the Russian military needs. The distinction here is whether they are supplying lethal weapons. And I think the jury's still out. We still don't know whether or not this is happening. One thing I would cite in the SRB report is they say the Chinese want to do this secretly. And if you want to talk about how they might do that, I've got lots of ideas. Well, I do want to talk with you. Um, you know, it's kind of when we say that this is inconclusive, we're not sure yet if this is going on. Um, you know, I, I guess one question, does this mean that uh, the public pressure campaign has worked? Um, and I guess, you know, the flip side of that is if if the public pressure campaign didn't work and if this is indeed happening like you say or as you theorize you know how do we explain to people how china could be covertly sending aid how could that actually work in practice well uh first of all let me tell you i have followed polytechnologies since it was born in 1983. i know a hell of a lot about this organization and its activities over the years uh, it's been one of my favorite topics to follow because uh, they are so crafty and so cunning an organization. Um, I think there are a couple things I would say. One is there's another report in these do leaked documents that says that the Chinese, an assessment from the military that says the Chinese might be inclined to do more for the Russians. On, in the way of lethal aid if they thought the Russians were losing. They don't want Putin to lose this war. They don't want him defeated. Because once he's defeated, the Chinese feeling is the United States then will come after them. And so very much they have a dog in this fight. And they, so I think one of the calculations on the Chinese side is they have to make an assessment of whether Putin can survive this war without their lethal aid. That may still be a debate in Beijing, I don't know. On the other hand, I wouldn't rule out that they are already sending lethal aid clandestinely. And let me talk about that. There are many ways to do this. One is if Putin needs artillery ammunition. Well, you can strip artillery ammunition of their markings. In fact, you can put other countries' markings on their ammunition, and they've done this a lot. So you put North Korean markings on it, and then everybody thinks the North Koreans have supplied the ammunition. You can ship it through North Korea. Doesn't have to go directly from China. You can ship it to another third party um, to send it. Remember all of these rail lines that go from China to Russia. Uh, so it's very easy to put it on those rail cars and very difficult to, to, to detect this kind of movement if it's done in such a way that um, the areas where the rail cars are loaded are undercover. Right. Our satellites can't see it if it's undercover. And so um, China has lots of means. It has decades of experience doing clandestine sales. One of the first ones I ever uncovered at CIA was the sale of long-range missiles to Saudi Arabia. 
Well, they snuck those missiles, and these are big missiles, into Saudi Arabia without anybody knowing it. And that was an activity of Poly Group, one of their first big sales. So uh, these guys know what they're doing, and um, we're going to have a hell of a time. Also, you mentioned North Korea. I, um, I don't know if that's just a theoretical example, but I mean, they, the, the, it's worth mentioning the, the North Koreans have already sent uh, artillery shells to Moscow. This is theoretical at this point, right? Right. Um, well, that's all super interesting. Um, and clearly there's a lot to chew on there. But I think this is also maybe a good point to pivot and broaden this discussion out a little bit. You know, so far we've been talking about what we've learned from these leaks. Um, but at the same time that we're talking about this clandestine help that that's going on on the sidelines, there's a much more, you know, public-facing type of military cooperation underway between China and Russia. And this is happening in plain sight. Uh, just on April 16th, we had Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu uh, visited Russia, where he met with President Vladimir Putin and Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. Um, and also back in March, when uh, she went to Moscow, a large portion of both the uh, Russian and Chinese delegations were made up of security and defense officials. Uh, you know, we don't really know what was said behind those closed doors and no public deals were, were, were put forward, um, especially from the meeting in March. But it seems like there is a lot of momentum on this front. And Jen, just this week, we've also seen some new announcements from the Chinese side um, uh, coming from this visit that's underway uh, in Moscow, this four day visit. Um, you know, we're talking there's there's a new agreement on exchanges between China and Russia's military academies. Um, you know, uh, I'm reading from their their press release right now, you know, it's saying things, you know, OK, we're we're getting new types of cooperation on military command uh, between military academies, their branches, their theaters of command. Um, and the defense chief, you know, he said on Tuesday that they're going to try and promote deeper cooperation with uh, Russia's armed forces. So, Dennis. That sounds like it could be the beginning of something quite interesting, definitely something new, and something that could have big ramifications for, well, it could affect a lot of things around the world. So what do you make of this latest bit of news? And then just in general, you know, where do you see this defense relationship going forward? Yes. First of all, I think that General Lee was probably more candid in his remarks in Beijing than the Chinese foreign ministry probably would have liked. Uh, for example, Li said a very interesting thing. He said that the Russia-China relationship will outperform the military political unions of the Cold War. He's talking about America's alliances. And what he's saying is what's going on between Russia and China is better, is bigger, than our alliances. So when people ask the question, do Russia and China have a military alliance? It is a military alliance. They just don't use that term because they don't like that term because it refers to something that they think the United States does. The second thing is he's congratulated Putin on his promotion of world peace. Well, that takes away all the, strips away the quote-unquote neutrality of the Chinese. Clearly, they are on Putin's side, and General Li made that very obvious. Um, another thing about General Li to understand, he has worked in China's military technical side for years. 31 years of his life has been spent at the Xichang Space Launch Center. So there is no better guy to go to Moscow and discuss 
military to military equipment transfers than him. And one area I would look to where the Russians could really help the Chinese is quieting their submarines. Right now, Chinese nuclear submarines are noisy. That's a good thing for us. Um, but if the Russians transfer that kind of te technology, it makes it much, much more difficult to locate and in wartime destroy a Chinese submarine. So that's something I would watch for. Now, in terms of these military academy exchanges, very interesting. Right. He yeah. talked about sending 20 officers to the military academy of the general staff. That means they are division level and above. That means they are generals in the Chinese army with real responsibilities. Now, we've asked often, what lessons are the Chinese learning from Ukraine? Well, I submit that 20 officers going to, Bay to Moscow and studying at this academy, they will hear about the lessons that the Russians are learning from this war. They will hear a lot about US capabilities, intelligence capabilities on the American side, how the Americans are doing this war, uh, obviously from the Chinese perspective, a proxy war. Um, so there are a lot of military applications that they can learn from the Russians, both in terms of failures and successes on the Russian side. So I think this is a very important thing. And one of the things we've noticed is when division level officers do get sent to Russian schools, they become the leaders in the Chinese military. They move up. And so it is a real um, honor for a Chinese officer to get sent to a Russian military academy. Well, that's always something that's really quite interesting to me. There is still maybe, maybe it's a legacy from the Soviet Union. Uh, I don't know if there's still this kind of thought um, that of, of Moscow, you know, I've seen Moscow as this military power, you know, it seems to hold quite a lot of weight in Beijing today still. Um, and that seems to be, you know, a big part of what's driving this increasing defense cooperation that we're seeing, you know, especially that was underway in the lead up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, we saw things, we had to do the shared military exercises, increased uh, arms sales, things like that. Um, but Dennis, you know, obviously you someone you're someone who's had your eye on the Chinese military for a very long time. So I'm curious if maybe you can explain to people a little bit of uh, you know what what's the state of the Chinese military, um, you know, in in terms of this cooperation with Russia, and you know why does it see Russia as such a valuable military partner? Well, first of all, I really dislike some of the analysis that says that China sees Russia as the junior partner today in this relationship. Uh, Xi Jinping and Putin are soulmates. They are meeting each other on a level, level playing field. And I think it is a real misreading of the relationship to say that somehow Russia has become a vassal of China. The Chinese military has always looked up to the Soviet and now the Russian military. After all, they were founded on principles that came from the Soviet Union. Uh, the academy at Wampo had uh, Russian military advisors. Chinese have had military advisors from Russia for a long time. Remember that while we are de denigrating the Russian military today, it is a military with huge capabilities. Um, the largest nuclear force in the world is in Russia and it dwarfs the Chinese nuclear capabilities. 
So um, this idea that China has nothing to learn from the Russian military is just wrong. There is plenty to learn from them. And one of the areas we don't talk a lot, a lot about is for the Russians, one of the main things the Chinese may be giving them is intelligence capabilities. After all, the Ukrainians, from this leaked reporting we can see, are getting a huge amount of help from US intelligence, military intelligence, in their war fighting. Right. Well, the Russians couldn't use that from China. China has a lot of intelligence capabilities, um, satellites and other things uh, that may help the Russians in this war. Right, well, if I can jump in there, uh, I think we've seen, you know, we have seen Chinese companies, um, you know, that they've sanctioned uh, some private that sorry, that sanctioned Chinese uh, companies have uh, that private Chinese companies have been sanctioned uh, uh, for providing satellite imagery, um, you know, allegedly to to Wagner Group. Um, you know, of course, obviously, this isn't officially Russian military, and that's not officially the Chinese government. But but no. you can bet that's only the tip of the iceberg. What they're doing for Wagner Group, um, they almost certainly are doing for Russian forces as well. Um, Dennis, I'm always curious about this, especially given the kind of line, you know, that we're, we're just talking about right now. You know, you're obviously somebody who studied, researched, worked on the Chinese military, you know, for, for quite a, in quite a lot of detail throughout your entire career. Um, you know, and there was a time when the Kremlin was reluctant to sell cutting edge military technology to China. Moscow was very worried that the Chinese might reverse engineer um, their technology and figure out how to produce it themselves. Uh, but that's obviously not the case anymore. Um, and we're really, you know, we're even seeing now Russia's defense uh, industry start to take up and become part of China's own military supply chain, it seems like. So um, how surprised do you think this, you know, your younger self would be to see all of this happening today? Oh, it is a total transformation in the relationship. Um, the Chinese and the Russians historically have been at, at odds in terms of cultures. Um, certainly in 1969, they fought a border war with each other. Um, and um, so there, there, <clears throat> there has been a lot of distrust in the past. But in the current environment, and specifically since Xi Jinping became the leader of China. His father was very involved in the 1950s with the Soviets. He would bring toys home to Xi Jinping from the Soviet Union. Uh, Xi Jinping studied the World War II strategies of the Soviet armed forces. Xi Jinping has a very different attitude from other Chinese leaders to Russia and the Soviet Union. I would not be surprised <clears throat> in the next stage of this relationship, if we see joint development of military equipment, you know, joint development of new generation fighter aircraft. Um, we live in a very different era in terms of Russian-Chinese cooperation, and we need to get our heads around that. Right. Well, that's maybe a good point to transition into some reader questions uh, that we got in uh, in advance of today. So this one comes from Graham Burton. And Graham asks, why hasn't China gone all in on supporting Russia in its war against Ukraine? I, I think that's actually a pretty interesting question. Um, you know, we've been talking about the, the intelligence leaks. We've been talking about how this relationship is moving forward in, in a lot of unprecedented ways. 
um, and that it's maybe deeper than it's ever been before. But I guess there's still this sense that China is treading really cautiously around the war. Um, and there's a sense that it hasn't quite put, you know, hasn't quite gone all in and put all its cards on the table. So, Dennis, I mean, what do you think? Is it safe to say that China hasn't gone all in or is it just really good at hiding its hand? I think that the Chinese foreign ministry and others are very uncomfortable with how close Xi Jinping is to Putin. Um, <clears throat> one of the difficulties, and it's a big difficulty, it's causing the Chinese, is in their relationship with Europe. You can see at the Munich conference in other briefings by um, European officials, maybe other than Macron, um, there is a very real feeling that China isn't doing the right thing on the Ukraine. For example, Xi Jinping apparently promised to call Zelensky to discuss peace plans. That call has, that call has not happened. Um, so China needs to tread carefully because they need the Europeans. They need European investment. They don't want to lose Europe to the United States. And so I think that is a big part of why China proclaims a public neutrality. Um, but I think that neutrality is very thin. Um, China's not neutral. But they do worry once they go to lethal aid, they could, of course, have sanctions put on them by the United States, followed by the Europeans, the Japanese, the Australians, and others. And so China has to worry that there will be blowback uh, if they move to a higher profile lethal aid. Um, well, what do you think about this idea? This is something that I've seen come up a few different times, which is that, for instance, if we look at Xi's visit to Moscow back in March, um, I think, you know, was perhaps, you know, a, a, a observers at the time were saying, you know, there wasn't actually a lot of deals that came out of this. Um, and, you know, perhaps that one way of looking at this is that it's more should be seen as more of a symbolic summit that didn't lead to a lot of concrete things. But perhaps the flip side of that is that maybe there were things that were agreed to. They were just agreed to um, in behind closed doors and have not been made public yet. So where do you come down on this? I would imagine that at some point the Kremlin is going to want to demonstrate to its own people that it's found a way to compensate for the economic losses that it's suffering from, uh, you know, from when Europe stopped importing Russian oil and reduced its imports of gas. Um, but it also seems that a lot of that power, um, and then maybe I guess that's where this junior partner idea comes in that we were talking about before, you know, it, it's especially on the economic and the energy front. Um, and that it's really up to China to decide when and how these resource deals or economic deals are going to get signed, um, and especially more than anything, when they can be announced. China, no question, has leverage over Russia because of the economic lifeline that China has been during the Ukraine conflict. Um, Russia would be in a much worse situation if it weren't for China buying their oil, if it weren't for the consumer goods support, uh, remember that trade has grown dramatically to about $200 billion a year, which is a surprise, but not a surprise when you think of what the Russians need. Um, you know, I would just point to one thing. Yes, the Chinese and Russians don't announce everything they're doing. Um, but one of the most interesting little moments 
was when Putin met the Chinese general, Chinese general saluted him. Now that is very unusual for a Chinese general to salute a foreign leader. And I, I think that speaks volumes about how close this relationship's getting. That's interesting. Uh, it, it does seem to be there really is a bit of this something that I've always I've always heard this, um, you know, that, you know, Putin is kind of an exception in a lot of ways. You know, there was this reporting that's done by different people. I think this is actually an anecdote from the the Wall Street Journal, you know, about she getting this this briefing, uh, you know, sent to him by by ministries or from advisors, you know, analyzing perhaps the path forward of what 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 Russia offers China in terms of a partner. And actually, you know, it was quite critical, you know, actually saying that, you know, perhaps this isn't a good idea, you know, this could jeopardize things with the United States and then and Europe, and that there'd be quite a lot of uh, drawbacks of getting, you know, wedded too closely to the Russians. And, you know, at least according to this, this anecdote, you know, she says, okay, this is, you know, sort of not nonsense, you know, writes it in the margins and sends it back, you know, saying he's kind of fully committed to this relationship with, with Putin and Russia. So it does seem to be at least at the top, the, you know, the Xi Putin thing, maybe if Russia and China themselves as countries might be a bit unequal right now, you know, Xi and Putin seem to be on quite equal footing with one another. Right. I'd give you another tidbit. Uh, Putin is a KGB officer by training. He is a great case officer. I will tell you that we worried every time President George Bush met with Putin because Putin was so good at manipulation. I have heard the same thing from the Japanese about Abe's meetings with Putin. And you can bet that Putin works Xi Jinping like a case officer and probably is very effective at it. Well, uh, what's the flip side of that then, Dennis? I mean, Xi obviously has his own, okay, maybe, yeah, he definitely doesn't have an intelligence background, but certainly, you know, he has a, a tough background where things like manipulation and, you know, having to be quite Machiavellian were, were certainly, you know, the reality for him. They're both Machiavellians. Yeah. In some ways, they're both mafia dons. You think of them as mafia dons in New York City. They have their own part of the city, um, but they respect each other as very forceful figures, um, very, um, what would I say, um, very strong leaders who aren't afraid of using punitive power in their own societies. So they really are like mafia figures and very Machiavellian, the both of them, no question. Okay, one last question here, Dennis. Uh, this is a reader question. This is from Neil Pitkiss. Uh, so basically, Neil is asking here, is there a timeline for Chinese acceptance or support towards Russia for its war in Ukraine? Um, you know, can there, will there be a time when, you know, perhaps the Chinese say, okay, this has gone on long enough and we need to start focusing our attention, you know, further east uh, towards, you know, potential conflict in Taiwan or the Taiwan Strait? Um, so, Dennis, I mean, is there is there a ticking clock here um, for Putin in Ukraine that, that she perhaps has set? I guess I'd put it this way, a couple of things. One, I think for the Chinese, what they would like to see is an armistice between Ukraine and Russia, a um, peace in place. In other words, the Russians don't lose anything um, that way. Putin isn't embarrassed. So I think they want to see the opportunity and they would take, I think, a larger role at a point 
where both Ukraine and the Russians are more amenable to some sort of negotiation, not necessarily a, a peace yet, but an armistice like we have on the Korean Peninsula, where forces are simply frozen in their current locations. Um, I want to say a couple things about the Taiwan issue because I think it's important. One is we aren't thinking broadly enough about what would happen in a Taiwan conflict. Uh, there is something called horizontal escalation. And what I'm talking about is the North Koreans could either be encouraged by the Chinese or decide on themselves to create conflict on the Korean Peninsula while we are involved and diverted to Taiwan. A two-front war in Asia is really difficult, and we're not ready for that. And the Russians are very involved with the North Koreans as well. And the Russians could play a role in this diversion uh, on the North Korean side. So um, we need to really think about this. We need to war game this. And I don't think we're doing enough war gaming to think about what if we have to ha fight a two front conflict. Uh, the Russian Far East, by the way, military is quite strong still. Right. Russian Navy in the Far East is big and strong. And uh, in fact, right now they're running a major exercise in which one of the things they're doing is showing that they can destroy an American aircraft carrier. Um, so we need to keep an eye on that as well. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much. This has been a super interesting conversation. Thanks again for your time and for joining us today. It's been a pleasure as always. And thank you all for listening today. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the China and Eurasia newsletter, which comes out every other Wednesday. And I'll be back in two weeks' time. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye.